Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 24, A Certain Type of Honesty. Solomon Kwai travels to Floon Bay with the 20th Company's Terra Cassie team. While they compete for the title, he sits in the spotlight of a whirlwind press tour, with the Empire using him as the centerpiece of a new recruitment campaign. Even the fights he's able to take in with his friends among the 79th are filmed by Imperial agents for promotional purposes, and he wonders if there's more at play than what he's being told. What are we to think of this Captain Mini? How long will Murray last in the ring? And what about the rest of the 20th Company? Will they take home the title and a hefty stack of creds? Let's find out. We were off again. Zipping low along the skyline, hitting one locale, then another, each one a staged scenario. Walking along the Keys near the ports downtown, getting bean coffee, shopping in a market, shaking hands with the locals, eating with them, laughing. Honestly, as schlocky as it was, the people involved were all really nice and doing their best to make me comfortable. All of us knew what we were doing. It wasn't an art house hollow film. It was what the command staff wanted and we needed to give it to them. I called back to my years of feigning illness to get out of farm work. 13 year old me mimicking Gothrin flu would have been very impressed. Captain Minnie was great at her job. She knew this was all new to me and ensured that I understood exactly what was expected. I needed that. I told you a few times, combat is a series of routines. Like you see a specific situation, you react in a certain way according to the textbook. Well, she broke down these quasi-hollow scenes in the exact same way. And it really sped the process up. We wrapped early and headed to the tailor with enough time to just sit. Enjoy a glass of Kang Tree at a sidewalk pub. Came in a chilled glass with ice. And it tasted a whole lot better than when you were sharing a warm bottle with six other mutters in a hole you dug in the dirt while swatting bugs and lizards away. Then I was fitted for a dress uniform. The tailor was a slender human woman with two Twi'lek assistants. 
Many said they were the best, had left Halfaken Bay immediately after hostilities began, and were now tailoring all the command staff's uniforms. I could see why. This woman didn't talk, save whispering to her assistants, and even then it was only one word at a time, holding up a finger or two. Notes jotted down, and 40 minutes later, she came out with a pristine, sleek gray uniform. It looked like the type of thing a colonel or an admiral would have on, but instead of a command badge, there was my lowly corporal's insignia. Below that, my decorations, my injury count, Imperial Service Medal, Scout Markings, etc. It looked well beyond my station, but I threw it on, and Minnie dragged me back to the speeder. I lost track of how many places I'd been that day. It was a whir of activity. Shot after shot, one location to the next. Solomon, I know it's been a day and a half for you, but tonight, I need you to be on it. Remember who these people are. Some of them present lucrative trade opportunities for the Empire, and more importantly, offer direct supply assistance to the legions in the Sestine Nebula. Smile, take pictures, shake hands, play the good soldier. I joked that she underestimated my ability to drink, but there was no give on her face. She just dropped me off at the front entrance of the Central and Min building, where a steward was waiting for me. He escorted me through a maze of tunnels until we reached a private lounge for the senior senior officers. Polished wood and dark leather furniture. Massive windows filtering the sunset. Long bar with row upon row of bottles each one worth more than my annual salary. There were a few command types milling around, two dozen of them, every branch. Intelligence, Navy, Army, Fighter Wing, Armored Corps, most of whom looked cleaner cut than I could ever hope to be. Mostly human, too. But I counted some Miri Allen, and one of the generals from the Fighter Wing was Twillick. I didn't know any of them but General Vasek was at the bar, sipping from a short glass with dark purple liquor, a slight haze rising up and rolling off the back of the glass. He was talking to three of the officers I'd met at lunch the day before. Must have caught me out of the corner of his eye, cause he waved me over and he'd been drinking. Had that sickly sweet smell on his breath before he wrapped his arm around me. The guy was a bit shorter than me, but stocky. That body of someone who'd worked with stone their entire life. Corporal Kwai, a man of the field. Glad you're here to save me from these central system tablet pokers. They all laughed, that we don't like each other kind of guffaw. I was just telling the colonels here that you mutters out in the Western Ranges have been digging deep and bringing the Seshers their due. They hadn't even heard how the fighting has shifted underground. Can you believe that? Tell them what it's like in those tunnels. I think this was exactly what Minnie had been hinting at. I wasn't brass. I was mud. I couldn't talk out of turn here, 
So I just explained the situation as it had been told to me. There's a lot of tunnels and a lot of seshers, and they know the network better than any of us, but slowly and surely we're grinding them down. Eat this, Sesher! When pressed for specifics, I explained my patrols had been more above ground and focused on the tower missions, keeping the enemy restricted, pinned down while we flushed them out for slaughter. I did my best to be as boring as possible just to get out of the situation. Fortunately, their attentions were turned when the Commodore came in. He didn't have a big dramatic entrance or anything intended to turn every head the moment he stepped in. They just had one eye at the door the entire time I spoke. The Commodore was shaking hands when they tipped their glasses and strode past me. Not Vasek, though. He stayed there. Don't worry about them. You know their type. Pushing data back to the core. Determining if what we do out here is even worth funding. His eyes were daggers in their backs. Long as the wine keeps flowing, I suppose they'll give us a glowing report. Blood for wine. I think he realized he was speaking out of turn and his tone shifted. So how have the days been, Corporal? They have you meeting the locals and all that glad-handing bullshit. I know it's annoying, but it helps. It really does. Let's the people know we're not out here oppressing everyone and butchering livestock like those retired bureaucrats from the old republic keep going on about. He put his glass on the bar and tapped for another from the service droid. You know, I started with the Republic Army 40 years ago. I was a junior officer assigned to the 905. Saw combat my first week out of training. Then, the campaign to retake the Levis Belt. You know much about that one? I shook my head. Didn't think so. Another blunder from the Senate. We were out there for eight years. Just shy of 20 million dead. Then, we withdrew. Can you believe that? So many dead. It wasn't even for anything. Some cluster of senators formed a pact and were using the conflict as leverage in trade negotiations. He raised his eyebrows, then slapped me on the shoulder. But don't worry about that, son. Things are different now. As long as the Commodore is at the table, we'll be looked after, rest assured. He's one of us. The Commodore was still talking with a few others, but gradually getting closer. Everyone in the room wanted a word. He started in the field, too. Had his little facial remodel job during the opening months of the Clone Wars. Was advancing with a ground patrol through Trade Federation lines, uh, Gila 2, I think. It doesn't matter. Heavy battle droid imploded his skull with its fist. But, take a lot more than that to kill him. Good man, though. The right man. The Commodore was heading over, made eyes before waving the server droid by to grab him a drink. He was so brisk in his movements. A passive, calculated nature. Vasek. Sir. Entertaining the corporal here? Keeping him away from the refra? Of course, sir. Good. These ones, they're not who we need to impress. 
Just keep them happy. Find them a good brothel and they'll be back in their core praising how efficient we've been with their credits. The general chuckled. You drinking, Corporal? I didn't even blurt out an answer before he waved the droid by again. Droid? Another for my friend here. Make it a double. He's a hero. He shot me a grin, that half-robotic face. Actuators showing as his eyes scanned me. Had to wonder how much that thing picked up. Heart rate, infrared, could be anything. Despite that, the general wasn't lying. He was more like the troopers that I chewed dirt with than anyone else out here. Him and Vasic really did carry themselves like actual soldiers, not politicians or sales types in uniform. We were in that room for another hour, and I couldn't tell you anything that was discussed. I just had a drink put in my hand when three more senior officers meandered over and started discussing trade patrols and quotas. What a wild bunch. Basic didn't even hide his annoyance, but I was no general, so I kept my face neutral and wondered what the food would be like at this dinner, if we ever got there. We did, though, eventually. Not as soon as I'd hoped. But we piled into some speeders and made for the senior officer's mess. It was already dark, and the sky here was so much more clear than it was in the Vista. The winds from the coast, they blew the atmospheric grit inland, made the nebula pop. It was gorgeous. So much detail in the sky. Just beautiful. We weren't the first ones to arrive, either. There were dignitaries already entering, different species, all dressed in clothing that cost more than a TIE fighter and would only be worn once. Buckets everywhere, too. Patrolling, scanning invitations, making their presence known. Sabres and walkers stationed around the perimeter. The real deal in terms of security. Made sense. These were the big movers and shakers. I rode in a combat-ready lardy with Vasek and the Commodore. They told the others they needed to discuss things in private with me. So it was just the three of us. There was a second when I was expecting some covert op, like super cloak and dagger stuff. Maybe this was just a ruse for me to hone my skills as an operative for some elite Imperial combat unit. But no, they just wanted a break from the bullshit. Drank and told me war stories. These guys were my dad's age and had seen it all. They would laugh, then drink. But they did ensure I knew that most of the suits attending the dinner slash gala, whatever it was, just wanted to feel important. I was told to find out what they did and relate it to how it was helping the war effort against the Seshers. If they were more focused on the relief efforts in the East, tell them how useful the flow of refugees had been in reclaiming farmland and infrastructure efforts. Just make them feel good and always have one or two war stories on hand. The drunker they were, the more they ate that stuff up. 
The Commodore had the pilot take a few high-speed turns around the city, out over the water, really punch it. Said he wanted to get his blood flowing before a night of miserable politics. The officer's mess was a large open hall. There were ornately laid tables floating on near-silent grav lifts, full-backed chairs with armrests. Not the setup I was used to for Chow, not by a few clicks. The serving staff was near entirely twilling, with a few humans in tow. Every one of them dressed in perfect steward uniforms. This was a military affair. The elegance and grace of imperial might on full display, like a well-orchestrated combat maneuver. A jizz band playing some of the smoothest music I'd ever heard was in the back. A four-piece combo group sounded and looked like they were all marinating in gem flower. Riding the music, pure class. Trays of food that was unlike any I'd seen. I wasn't even sure what most of it was. Plant, animal, some type of sliced fungal growth. An open bar with three servers were mixing up cocktails. Do you need a drink? Everywhere, people were deep in conversation. Rooms like this played just as big a role in deciding battle as what happened in the field. Lives ended in places like this. I was seated at the head table, the perfect place for a junior non-commissioned officer with just shy of two years service under their belt. But I ate, said maybe five words, and looked awkward as the Commodore espoused the virtues of the Empire. Then he had me stand, commended my exemplary service, and promised me they had something special lined up for the medal ceremony that would precede the fifth day of the tournament. It was hard to remember that's why we were there, the tournament. But when the dinner was done, hollow projectors lowered along the walls showing the day's fights. The ones worth watching and the calculated tournament favorites. The guests would circulate the room, talking among each other, making deals, bets, losing fortunes and gaining them without a blink. Another world. I attempted to circulate, had passing conversations. They really did just want war stories. They'd nod, prod for details. I gave them what I could, embellished a bit, changed the numbers, and ensured they left thinking the 79th were the most badass platoon of mutters to ever leave basic. One of the bartenders was grabbing me another watered-down cocktail. That purple thing General Vasek keeps ordering was what I called it. Turns out it was a veteran's smash and is a standard drink in every senior officer's mess. I was waiting for the glass when I heard a familiar voice behind me. Corporal, you're with the 79th, aren't you? One of Lieutenant Ordos? I turned to see Jesper Chorus, the sheriff slash mayor of Flaudine. I was actually excited to see him. I'd never spoken to him, but a familiar face was welcome. 
and I had just enough booze in my system that there was a near nostalgic sense of recognition. I was happy and shook his hand with a big smile and said hello. Congratulations on your award, Corporal. I know the enemy you are facing. Incredible you survived. It is a credit to your skill and also your training. I asked what he knew about the enemy, the Seshers. He spoke like he had a greater sense of knowledge than even the general, which in hindsight isn't shocking. He'd been at war with these types since before the Empire even planted the flag. Years ago, they were just standard slavers and mercenaries. No tactics, just barbaric thievery and kidnappings. But now, there is new leadership. He leaned into my ear. There is a full resistance cell of Republic loyalists helping them, strategizing on their behalf in unison with the old money from Halfinken Bay. It's no coincidence they have surplus Republic gear, and it's definitely no coincidence they know how to use it. Drunken flashbacks of things I'd seen in the field, things going back to the very beginning came into my head. Blaster fire and death, screams beneath the jungle canopy. So many dead. I've had my militia members assisting in cleanup operations with the 11416. My personal guard, soldiers with years of combat experience. Every one of them fought in the Clone Wars. And they've told me there are ARC troopers operating on Sestin 4, a full squad maybe more. Seen them personally. That I trust. He leaned back and raised his eyebrows, then looked around the room suspiciously. I can't deny the people in this room have been a great help. The people of my city have fared incredibly well since the Emperor's arrival, despite the hardships. But these merchant princes administrators. They expect this war to be finished in months. Things like this take years. And if those ARC troopers aren't dealt with, they will become a beacon, attracting only more of their kind. Experienced fighters, those who can't function outside of the war zone, are far more dangerous opponents than those who are fighting for simple credits. I liked this guy. He reminded me so much of the LT. A bit less lead in the front, but definitely the same philosophy of knowing exactly what was happening at the front. We drank a bit, and for the first time that night, I was asking questions. Getting the dirt from someone who'd been in the Green Death for years, hunting down slavers, raiders, He had some wild stories. Told me how much of a mess Flaudine was when he showed up. And for the first year, didn't really have any clue what he was doing. And he jokingly claimed his eagerness to go out on patrol 
was driven by a fear the people in Flaudine would realize how much he lacked in civic leadership ability. But each time before he left, he'd assign some of the locals a task, like rebuilding the landing platforms, clearing more land for fields, build a school or a park. Then him and his personal guard would zip off on a speeder. Two weeks later, he'd come back with a haul of prisoners or dead raiders with bounties on them, and the job in Flaudine would be done. The people were just glad to have someone who was willing to stick up for them, someone who knew how to fight and was willing to see it through. I told him about our first arrival in his town over a year back, and about how after we left, we made contact in the jungles nearby. He asked different questions than the rest of the people there. Wanted to know about our angles of fire and how much our tactics had grown over the years. Things that were textbook that didn't really work in practice. He actually gave me some pointers on how to modify the scanner on my scope so it could read cleaner through the grit. Even how to boost the range on my comms channel by shifting frequencies on the fly. Experience pays off in dividends. I didn't circulate much after that, just hung at the bar with him, whiling the hours away. Then a group of senior officers and a few dignitaries joined us. Chorus knew who they were, some colonel, another general, this one from one of the other legions, some name that started with a T. There was also this Weequay trade baroness, Chorus was very familiar with her. And this is Groniza Typho of the Typho Mercantile Exchange. Decades ago, her mother was the only arms trader who would sell to me. And now, TME is the only supplier I trust. Unfortunately, I'm not the only trader he deals with, though. Well, if you expand your catalog to more than ship components and weapons, I'd have no need to head elsewhere. The conversation was actually quite pleasant. A lot lighter, or maybe I was just drunk. Inevitably, the conversation came to the action in the Western Ranges, and then to Vibus. I heard there was an actual Inquisitor present when the base fell. Is that true? They all looked at me, but the one colonel spoke. She was a hard-looking Mary Allen. Not hard in the sense she was in a lot of fights and had a broken nose, but hard in a way where it looked like it was impossible to even break her nose to begin with. When she spoke, it was cold and final. A marble continence. Yes, there was. And she fought to the last. But clones, they outnumbered her. Dozens of them. Ark troopers, though. I've seen reports from my patrols. Arc troopers? Advanced recon commandos. The best of the best. More independent than normal clones. Makes them better in the field. That entire clone program was a waste. <laughs> the sooner they're put out to pasture, the better we'll all be for it. Who the fuck was she? The clones. 
the symbol of the entire Clone War, were not a waste. Most of the troopers in my unit idolized the clones growing up. I had to step in. I cut her off and went into detail about how amazing our LT was, called him out by name, talked about our first flyout, how he scaled this tower and mowed down wave after wave of seshers. So I embellished a bit. I was full of fire and liquor. Orto kept us alive. He made us what we were. He didn't tell us to run. He told us to follow. Pull up, 79. Those are two very different things. He was at war with us, at the front, no matter what happened. It was one of those impassioned speeches that are incredibly important at the time, but that you regret after uttering the last syllable. Kwai. The Commodore was in another group conversation and called me over. I gave a curt head nod and walked away like I was someone of far greater status than I was. The Commodore was talking with more civilians. Apparently they were textile merchants. Had contracts with the manufacturers of our IRDs. I was actually being asked for a field assessment. In my lubricated state, I was honest. Not as honest as I'd been about the LT moments earlier, but this wasn't personal. I still indicated they were rough on the skin and anything they could do to smooth them out would be best. The Commodore made comments about how many more Seshers would die if we had more gear, making jokes about the potential of larger trade opportunities. You ensure we kill the enemy in a more cost-effective manner, and I'll see that any supply contracts in the neighboring systems find a way into your hands. There were some jokes about other suppliers who'd been less loyal and hadn't offered the same prices, and a bunch of other things that were getting hazed over by the rapidly forming clouds in my head. I took my leave and visited the restroom, And on my walk over, Corvus stepped up beside me. You need to be more mindful, Corporal. I can appreciate your loyalty to your commanding officer, but places like this, they're not where people like you or I should be voicing our opinions on anything. Anything. We are here to listen. Say only what is needed. How can you see what others are thinking? if you're too busy talking. Words are dangerous. He looked at me sternly, the way the LT would, then walked out the front door. I still needed to hit the restroom, but I didn't say much the rest of the night. Switched to water, floated from one group conversation to the next, finished the night beside a very drunk General Vasek who was with some other officers. Navy types who'd taken part in one of the last major battles preceding the Clone Wars. A massive orbital ground assault landing in multiple locations. A coordinated attack involving three separate fleet wings and six Republic legions. The logistics were incredible and everything went off seamlessly. 
It got somber as they lamented that the commander of the whole operation, Amon Kalmari Admiral, had been a vocal critic of Senator Palpatine. When the flags changed over, he lost his position with the Navy and went back to his home planet, presumably to a life of ease and relaxation. That closing comment got cynical laughter from the grizzled veterans. Then another moment of silence, followed by more war stories. I would chime in when I asked a question, but I listened. Jesper Chorus had me paranoid, questioned everything I'd said that night. Meanwhile, the gathered brass spoke about warfare like they were hiding from the truth, trying to convince themselves that what they'd done, they'd done for a reason justifying one action, one atrocity after the other, and, in turn, themselves. When the night ended, I returned to my suite and just stared at the wall. It looked like a hollow screen, playing out the last few years of my life. And when I closed my eyes, I could hear my parents telling me to stay on the farm. I woke up to the chiming of my bracelet. I slept straight through the night, hadn't even moved, and was surprisingly not hungover. It was 0900. Minnie would be by in half an hour. I stood in the shower, which had incredible water pressure, and washed the grime of decadence from my skin. She knocked at my door and handed me my fatigues. Get this on and wear it like you would normally. Like you've just come off the line. You're going to be asked more questions by reporters today, but in a far more structured environment. It was a series of interviews, actually. I sat in a single spot and reporters would just come in one at a time, asking approved questions. Captain Minnie would be there just in case anything got out of hand but I was assured the ones who'd gotten approval knew the drill. It was great wearing my uniform again, the worn-in dura-weave, the slight hint of jungle rot in the seams. I had a moment of memory, the sound of sloshing boots walking through mud outside the wire. I was taken to a warehouse on the open end of the base where civilians were permitted. The same hollow engineers and hollow camera ops from the day before were there. I said hello, spoke with them briefly before things got going. A few of them were locals, had extensive experience with the local holonet. One of them, a Twi'lek male with green skin, had made a few feature films I'd watched since arriving. He did these poetic war pictures built around Twi'lek mythology, really over-the-top stuff and I loved it. I told him so. He laughed and said when his contract of service was done, he'd be sure to make more now that he knew they had an audience. Before the reporters came in, the engineers fired up a backdrop that made it look like we were in a fully stocked armory. Rows of blaster rifles. Looked kind of like the spot I worked in, actually. A lot of the reporters were Imperial military, and asked questions about training and my NCOs. 
Stuff, no doubt, that was going to be used for more recruiting hollows. Then some civilian types. Their questions took a more critical slant. I didn't waver, though. I understood their concerns. I remembered how the LT handled the more aggressive prospectors in the field. He never got rattled. He just listened to their concerns and gave them solutions. That's it. That's all I needed to do. When the drones finally stopped recording, Captain Minnie told me that was it. I was free until the afternoon of the final round of the fights. Sent me a reminder on my bracelet, and then took me back to the barracks where the rest of the platoon was. Even handed me a bottle of Kang Tree as I made for the Seraph's door. Go easy on it, Corporal. I unscrewed the top and took a pull before entering the barracks. I didn't know what kind of reception I'd get. The second day of fighting had come to a close, and the 20th Company had eight fighters still active, including Murray, who was so excited he was vibrating when I opened the door. What a relief. Kwai, you pompous bastard. You done hanging out with the brass? You finally gonna make some time for the fights? I sighed and expressed how mentally exhausting it was spending the past two days bouncing from one viper pit to the next. You make it sound worse than getting popped in the face, which happened to me plenty times this afternoon. You should have seen it, man. Going into the third round, I thought I was done. I was fighting some beefy human asshole from the 62nd. She was mean. Had maybe two teeth in her whole head. But she overcommitted to a flying knee. I swept her leg and she hit the mat and her head bounced off the ground. She was out, man. Total fluke, but I'm on to day three. I hadn't seen him in a mood that good since right before we lost all our pay on the swoop bike races. That high he was riding, right before our bike lost. When we still thought we had a few thousand creds headed our way. He was pinned, man. The whole room was in good spirits. Even the fighters who'd lost, they'd all put on a good show and the skip was pleased. I was there for the team dinner, and they all plotted and planned about what to do next. The skip and Husto seemed to swing most of the weight in the room, but whenever the captain spoke, our medic kept his mouth shut. She had final say on everything. And the next day was one that would decide the entire tournament. Day three was the last day you could slide in your alternates. Any fighters who were still in the mix, but had been injured, would usually get subbed out in favor of a fresh fighter. The other big factor at play was that the fastest victory on day three would earn the winner an automatic advancement to the finals. That meant no need to fight on the fourth day. You could rest. Everyone was gunning for it. It really added a sense of frenzy to every fight. People would be going for the kill as soon as the bell went. The previous morning, there were 832 fighters. Now there were 104. By the end of day three, there would only be 13. It was great just listening to everyone talk. No, no, you gotta keep your guard up if you're coming in that close. Keep the arms straight. You almost lost today because you let your head drop. Protect yourself. 
always keep the guard in place. There was so much sincere positivity in the room. You were great out there. Your footwork was awesome. Never crossed over, and every time they tried to get past you, you cut the ring off. I loved it. I poured a glass of Kang Tree for the skip, and she asked me how things had been with the command staff. I explained how uneasy I was, and as soon as you thought you had things figured out, it felt like you got tagged by some passing comment and just froze. Well, there's a certain honesty you find in the ring and in the fields that you won't find anywhere else. Left the words hanging and then downed her glass. The lights were out early. Everyone needed their rest. I stepped outside, brought the bottle and my sticks. Just sat there, looking up at the nebula, watched the curls of the celestial plasma. The room was loud when the fighting schedule was released the next morning. It was set to be a long, grueling day. And the barracks were a cacophony of grunts and groans as everyone warmed up, stretched, loaded up on carb packets, fruit, light, calorie-dense food. Nutrition was huge at this point. Not for me. I half wanted to keep drinking. The 20th would be fighting at the parade square in the open half of the base. There would only be a single ring and the stands nearby would be stacked. The crowds were massive now. Everyone had saved their creds for day three. This was when the whole tournament changed gears. Murray was in his head. I saw the glean in his eye. That same one he got right before we'd bored for an op. Nerves. I didn't say any corny inspirational shit. Didn't want to make it worse. But I did tell him Targon had a few creds on him. Best not to get on the bad side of a Zeltron. That devolved into a conversation about who out of our platoon probably would have made it if they'd only bothered to sign up. He then proceeded to show me what he planned on doing in the ring, ensuring he shoved me and popped me whenever he could. The skip said that since I'd be with them the whole day, I should be wearing my PT gear. Jacket, pants, all of it. Looked like I was part of the team because I was part of the team. She was quite vocal about that part. So I did as asked, and when the speeders came to pick us up, I hopped on board with them. I was the most relaxed one there. For me, this was entertainment. For them, it was do or die, minus the die part. But they knew everyone at the hotel would be following the fights. They stood to pocket a few creds if we somehow managed to go all the way. We rolled up to the parade square outside the main gate, and the crowd was insane. There were merchants selling refreshments, hawking merchandise with the tournament logo, imperial paraphernalia, all of it bootleg garbage, children's mutter helmets, flags with various regimental insignias, the lot. Very similar to the swoop bike race, but not quite as big. 
Mind you, this was just one of four fight locations. There were three others across the city, so the dispersal of the crowd made it hard to gauge the actual size of the tournament as a whole. Our speeder was directed along a cleared road, the route used by the administrators and organizers. Anyone working the event was kept separate from the crowds. I saw some civilians get too close to the stanchions blocking off the roads, and a bucket was on them with a stun baton before they could blink. No one was gonna throw a wrench into the Empire's big look at us party. We got dropped off right near a special section of stands set aside for the fighters' teams. It was really wild how they kept us all together. Classic show of solidarity. Even if we were all wading into the ring to beat each other to death, we were still in the same army. Still had the same goals. And when the week was over, we'd fly back out to our various posts and willingly take a blaster bolt for each other. The 20th had a spot in the lower third of the stands. A massive awning was floating overhead, kept us in the shade. It had speakers blaring the broadcast to ensure we didn't miss any of the details. There were four massive hollow screens floating over the elevated ring, hollow drones zipping everywhere. Some of them for the holonet, others probably security drones scanning for malcontents in the crowd. Eyes in the sky, the Empire. What was Jesper Chorus doing at that Imperial Gala? And what was he warning Solomon Kwai about? Will Solomon even get to enjoy the fights with his fellow mutters? And will there be an end to Captain Minnie's constant barrage of interviews and appearances? That's next time on Episode 25, The Deveronian. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud 79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.